uh, because we need to hear Victoria Racing's General Manager of Veterinary Services, Grace Forbes, who joins me in the studio. Good morning, Grace. Good morning, Michael. Been a busy week for you. It was great to be involved in um, the first of your seminars at Ballarat, and then you had another one at Cranbourne on Tuesday last week. Um, uh, For the listeners out there, just give a bit of a brief snapshot of what the overall seminars were trying to cover off. Thanks, Michael. Um, So we've been running these seminars since 2012 uh, and they're all about sort of providing a platform to share information with our participants. And this year we talked about uh, how we use medication in our racing horses and it gave us the opportunity to share the results of a survey that we'd um, undertaken with a number of trainers and private vets and sort of test those results with the audience participants there. So we used the uh, polling, uh, uh, online polling survey in the seminar. And so that was really good to get a bit of extra feedback from a broader range of participants. Mm. Uh, And then we also looked at what we can learn from other elite sports. We had uh, Joel Selwood and Dr. Ben Barassi there, who both uh, work in the AFL, obviously. Uh, and then there was a really good opportunity to to see what can we learn from our peers. So we had an industry panel with uh, Dr. Ben Mason, uh, some owners, Brad Spicer and Simon O'Donnell. Uh, we had Dave Eustace uh, and Professor Witten. So mm-hmm. it was that was a really great opportunity to sort of hear what other people are doing. And for them, I suppose, what's the one of the biggest issues um, as far as the veterinary side of racing is concerned. The day I was up there, we were talking about transparency and vet bills and trying uh, to get owners to understand exactly what medications are, what they're used for, what you're getting charged. And then from, I suppose, a trainer's point of view, you've also got to have um, what changes are in the administration, what's allowed and what isn't allowed. Yeah, there were some really interesting discussions with respect to the owners. It was a really great opportunity to sort of hear from them. Uh, And I think one of the takeaways from the owners was that they really like to understand what's going on with their horse and sort of relatively (laughs) new for us. But some of these new technologies that we could perhaps better utilise, so the the voice recordings that can be distributed to owners, uh, a short video. And there's also that discussion about uh, as vets, a bit like doctors, we're really good at talking to other vets uh, and we have a tendency to use sort of some words that make it a bit harder mm. for people to understand what we're saying in plain speak. And You've so, got to dumb it down for us, Rose. <laughs> well, it's, it's <laughs> making it accessible and it's fine for us to talk like that to one another perhaps when we want to be really specific, but... Uh, there's nothing like sort of being able to put something into sort of plain speak so that people can understand. And I think that was a really uh, obvious but important highlight, particularly from the owners. As a vet yourself, where where do you see the biggest um, focus for the industry moving forward? Obviously, um, the equine welfare has been a huge focus in recent years, especially around the Spring Carnival, and we've seen a a really good result in the last few years where we've had little to no fatalities. Um, What about the overall injury rates of racing year-round? Are they improving as well? Yeah, I think on this, like this particular seminar, we did touch on injuries, but there was definitely a real focus on on how we use medication. Mm. 
And I think what was really encouraging from the survey of our trainers in vets is that they thought that they'd really changed the way they used medication uh, over the last sort of 10 years. And in particular, there's been a real shift in focus from uh, from treatment to prevention. And I think Dr. Ben Mason gave that really great example when he um, was talking about coughing horses. And 10 years ago, we sort of, it was a common belief that if a horse is coughing and a, a vet scopes it and they see some mucus, it's a bacterial infection and we need to give them antibiotics. And we now know that that's equine asthma most of the time. And we can treat that or we can look to prevent that by managing a horse's environment and Ben brought in that great little gadget Mm. that uh, could measure the number of uh, dust particles particles in the air. And so it was a really great example of how, you know, we used to think something and now we know something different and that gives us lots of opportunities, you know, in a stable environment with your coughing horse. Like how can we prevent dust? Do we look at the bedding that we're using? Uh, Can we look at wetting feeds, damping feeds down, uh, optimising the amount of time horses can get outside. And then if we do need to treat them, like if you're a human and you've got asthma, the doctor doesn't give you antibiotics. He'll give you generally an Mm. inhaled um, anti-inflammatory. So I think there was that real focus on how can we look at preventing conditions rather than treating them. And I know we spoke to um, Dave Eustace before. He was part of the panel on the on the Tuesday, and he said he wanted to talk about stomach ulcers in horses, which are, I suppose, very hard to detect from a trainer's point of view. And um, they can also flow onto performance for owners and punters as well, because you know horses can't talk, and you can't see an ulcer. So, what was I suppose the main point out of that about again detection and prevention? Yeah. Uh Dave was really interesting to listen to and I think that the Mar and Eustace stable is really, you know, leading the way in terms of looking at why are we doing things, uh, is there a different way and so specifically with uh, stomach ulcers, their stable is now sort of more, as a more of a routine, they actually, instead of treating all of the horses in their stable just in case, Dave talked about um, doing a, a scope of the stomach. So you stick a camera down into the horse's stomach and have a look and see, are there ulcers there? Yes or no? If they're there, then they can treat them. Uh, and if they're not, well, the horse obviously doesn't need treating. Uh, and then they're also going one step further. If they Uh, do a stomach scope and they see some ulcers, they treat them for a period and then they're going back and looking to see was my treatment effective Uh, and and probably even one step further, they're looking at, Dave was talking about looking at the sort of feeding regime that they're using and, and is there a way to prevent instead of treat these by changing the way they feed them and I think that's, uh, you know, they should really be commended for sort of having that uh, you know, it's that sort of, you know, looking at how can they do things better and mm. I think it's really impressive. Yeah, they're at the cutting edge, aren't they? And that goes to the, the podcast that Marie McEwen is doing with their, their head of sports science, which is, again, a bit of the discussion that we were talking to Joel Selwood about, about the correlation of the um, the environment of an AFL football club 
with how they go about their training, but also the support staff and the preparation, which is slowly creeping into the same kind of method and, I suppose, mindset of, of racehorse trainers as well. Yeah, it was really interesting to hear from uh, Dr Ben and also Joel. And I think what we learnt is there were there's an awful lot of similarities, which is not surprising, between elite sports. And they've had a real focus in the football, at least, on uh, individualising programs. And I thought that was really interesting because that's something that our trainers clearly do. So Joel was talking about you have a particular sort of uh, preparation when you're a younger football player, so that's sort of 18 to 22. Uh, And then once you're older and you're more, you know, you're stronger and you're sort of more developed, then the type of program that they have changes. And I think we see that with our trainers in the way that they train two-year-olds versus older horses. Uh, And then also he said there was a real focus on uh, the type of training program you have if you're if you have a sort of a low grade injury mm. and you're looking to manage your workload to um, stop that from getting any worse or if you're coming back from an injury and he talked about when he had his knee operations and the sort of program he had and I think there's a lot of similarities there with what we our trainers are doing with their horses changing the workload to sort of suit the individual horse's circumstances and the workload was an interesting one because that also flowed into what most trainers or vets think is the optimum amount of time a horse should be spelled each year and that was a a fascinating discussion because it varied greatly yeah it's one of those it's a really interesting question uh and so professor Chris Whitten, um, having done a lot of research into this, I think the sort of summary of his advice was that younger horses, so two-year-olds, it may actually be preferable for them to have more frequent, shorter uh, spells. But once horses get older, so sort of three and onwards, uh, they really do need that period of sort of minimum eight weeks and ideally in some circumstances up to 12 weeks to spell and that gives their bones an opportunity to um, to heal and repair. And so that was, it was a really interesting mm. discussion. And then also how you bring the horses back out of the spell, building up their training Um because that can be an extended spell, lead to more injuries when you return if it's not done correctly. Yeah, that's definitely right. And it's a matter of, it it sort of comes back to that question of individualising programs uh, and particularly whether a horse has had a spell just because, you know, it doesn't like wet tracks Mm. and so it's had a longer spell over the winter uh, or whether they're coming back from a particular injury and then, managing their return to racing uh, and their training program. I know Chris often has quite a good sort of little saying where he says, you know, we're vets, we don't know how to train horses, but a good piece of advice he has is don't increase speed and distance at the same time. So when trainers are sort of programming their horses, it's like try and do one or the other, but not both at the same time. Well, it was an interesting couple of days, Grace, and 
Um, I know a lot of those who attended will be doing a, a survey to give you feedback and to be able to, uh, I suppose, analyse what came out of it. And it's uh, a yearly thing that you do as well. And I think there'd be a lot of general racing fans out there who clearly aren't trainers, but they might be owners or just punters who are also interested in the scientific aspect behind the veterinary um, world and also the training world, which this opens up and gives people an opportunity to understand. So, um, well done on the, the seminar last week and we'll get the results of those surveys and we'll get you back in as well. Thanks very much for the opportunity and again, thank you for uh, helping us out and emceeing the first day. Good on you, Grace. Uh, Grace Forbes, the boss of the Veterinary Services team here. We'll have more on that when we get those survey results coming forward probably uh, early next year.